It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Janice Dean. I'm David Asman. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. Congress has 11 days to avert a government shutdown, but some House Republicans refuse to go along with their conservative colleagues on a short-term solution. A continuum resolution continues the spending of Nancy Pelosi at Joe Biden's policy. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. When it comes to transgender student rights at schools, things may depend on the state. But will federal policy soon offer more solutions or more confusion as the debate continues to be political? I don't think we're really getting consensus on this issue. You don't hear workable solutions from Democrats. They're not really on the same page. And I'm Kevin Sorbo. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. We've been through this before. Another partial government shutdown looms at the end of the month, unless Congress approves short-term funding. For these MAGA Republicans, it's as if gridlock is a virtue and cooperation a crime. Democratic Senate Leader Chuck Schumer is not happy. The plan that House Republicans are working on to fund the government through October does not include the additional military aid for Ukraine President Biden's requested. The proposal is an insult to Ukraine and a gift to Putin. He also doesn't like that the GOP plan does include 8% cuts in non-defense spending. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik tells Fox Business. The important part of the CR is it also includes important policy riders related to securing the border. And I will tell you, Maria, that is a catastrophe. But nearly a dozen of her conservative colleagues in the House do not support a short-term solution. And that is upsetting and frustrating Congressman Chip Roy. For all the folks out there ready to walk away from it, I would just caution you that you are walking away from the most important issue that we are dealing with right now for the people that we represent. So what is it that these GOP holdouts oppose? A continuing resolution by very definition is merely a continuation of Nancy Pelosi's spending and Joe Biden's policies. Congressman Matt Rosendale is a Republican from Montana. We have known for years, but certainly since January of this year, that we were going to need to pass the 12 appropriation bills. That is how you properly fund government. That's how you responsibly do it. That's how you transparently do it. Uh, Kevin McCarthy told us after he was elected speaker that we are going to restore regular order. We're going to have single subject legislation. We are going to deliver the 12 appropriation bills. And the fact that he is not directed the appropriations committees to do their work is a failure of leadership. I'm sorry. That's that's all it is. I, I am more than glad to do my part. I don't lay this work off on anyone that I'm not willing to do myself. But I would certainly have been glad to have stayed here through August to make sure that we could deliver these appropriation bills on time. And quite frankly, for the last two months, uh, leadership has been twiddling their thumbs, addressing other issues instead of the, the priority, which is to fund government. 
Okay, now some of your colleagues, uh, you know, fellow Republicans, fellow conservatives say, look, this gives us another month. A continuing resolution lets us work on those 12 appropriation bills for another month. And they say it's also going to put money in for border security. So why not go along with that? The problem is they're not being realistic. The continuing resolution will never pass, okay, with those provisions intact. They're just not going to. And they know that. They admit it. They're like, no, the Senate the Senate will never pass that continuing resolution without border security legislation attached to it. The, the Senate will never pass our continuing resolution with the uh, provisions that we put in there to defund, um, like Department of Justice, to, to stop this outrageous weaponization of the government against the American people. We need to use the appropriations process. Congress has broken down so, so badly that they haven't utilized it for several years now. There's not a state legislature across the country that can conduct their affairs like this. They would all be voted out of office because most of them have constitutionally mandated charge to pass a budget, a balanced budget for that matter, when they actually do convene. And we're not doing it. And I was sent up here to change that. And and that's what I intend to do. Okay, Congressman, earlier this year, there was all the drama about a possible default on our debt. Ultimately, Congress approved raising the debt limit, allowing more borrowing with these spending limits attached. You seem to have a deal or something worked out with the president and Democrats at that point. Why not go and pass 12 appropriations bills then? I will tell you, I'm glad you brought that up. There was a lot of us that worked extremely hard on the debt ceiling package in order to do four things. Number one, yes, raise the debt ceiling, but raise it incrementally so that we would maintain some kind of leverage, some ability to negotiate with the president and the Senate going forward. Number two, to free spending at uh, pre-COVID levels, okay? Number three, to actually take this COVID money that hadn't been squandered, that hadn't been spent, and draw it back so that we could use that to pay bills. And then number four, pass H.R. 1, attach that as part of the debt ceiling package, H.R. 1 being the domestic energy production, if you will, legislation uh, to to increase our domestic energy production, to help us with the inflation problems, to help us with our energy problems and, and our national security. We worked really hard on that, a lot of us, across the entire conference. And when that passed, it had 218 Republican votes. Okay. Unfortunately, days after it passed, Kevin McCarthy went in and negotiated a side deal with the president. Okay. Instead of allowing the Senate to to amend uh, our debt ceiling package and send it back to us, he made a side deal with the president and increased the debt ceiling without all of those provisions. That's the kind of leader we have now. He is making deals with and, and alliances with the Democrats. And you know why? You know why, Dave? Because it's easier to buy votes from Democrats than it is to earn them from Republicans. You brought up the speaker. Let me play a clip of what he said on Fox Sunday Morning Futures. I'm sure you saw this. He had said, with the possibility of the government shutdown coming, 
If there's no funding by the end of September, he told Fox. (laughs) He said this. I've never seen somebody win a shutdown because when you shut down, you give all your power to to the administration. But how are you going to win your arguments to secure the border if the border agents don't get paid? How are you going to win the arguments to get wokeism out of the Department of Defense if even our own troops won't be being paid? Now, based on what you were doing before, I haven't played that. I don't think that you're going to agree with what he just said. He's looking for a distraction. Where has he been for the last four months, five months? Right now, look, here's the problem. We will spend somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 trillion a year more than we're going to collect in revenue. Okay, we're going to collect about five trillion dollars. They are proposing they being the Republicans and Democrats, they're proposing about seven trillion dollars in spending. There's a two trillion dollar a year uh, void there. Okay, that needs to be made up. That's going to be added. Okay, to the thirty three trillion dollars that currently exists as our national debt, the two trillion dollars a year that they're projecting as the deficit is projected out year after year after year. Within the next eight, 10 years, it will escalate the national debt to the point that the the interest on that debt is going to consume about 50% of the annual revenue, leaving 50% of the revenue for that military he was just talking about, for Social Security, for Medicare, Medicaid, for all of these things, okay? And you're not going to be able to make that happen. So what happens next? Well, you the question those yeah, things. Yeah, but how do you, you get 2 billion? How do you get 2 trillion dollars out of spending? How do you do that and and you're you can't do that in a month or even in the next you 11 days? You can't. And, and and this is where we've said, look, all we want to do is change the trajectory. That's just putting us in the right direction, Dave. Let's let's at least Get the trajectory changed. And and a continuing resolution continues the spending of Nancy Pelosi at Joe Biden's policies. Okay, now you have said that, you know, House Speaker McCarthy made these deals with Democrats. You can't do everything on your own, obviously. Even if you pass, even if you all unite on a spending plan, it has to go through the Senate, which you've said obviously is run by Democrats. And you have a president who would have to sign it, and he's a Democrat. You have to work with Democrats, don't you, at some point? What I will tell you is you're never going to get anything past the Senate if while the ink is still wet on a piece of legislation, you go over to the White House and you start negotiating the very people that elected you to be the speaker. So you think, what about the speaker? Do you do you want him to still be your speaker? I know it took him a long time and several ballots to even get the job. Do you want him still to have it? I want a leader. I want a true leader. And what I don't want is for somebody that stands around and waits for a consensus to come together and then runs around to the front of the group and tries to lead the parade. Okay, so how would you, let's say you were the House Speaker and you passed 12 appropriations bills, but Democrats didn't like any of it. How would you work that? And how would you get that through? I assure you, Dave, when I walk into a room and I say this is the transaction, People take me seriously, okay? Therein lies the difference. You have to have enough of a commitment and principles and and reputation that when you say this is what the deal is, people understand that that is what the deal is. There are some in your conference who do want to dump Speaker McCarthy. Do you think that's possible? 
I think that that his speakership is going to be in jeopardy once he violates the uh, the promises that he's made with everyone as far as delivering the 12 appropriation bills and instead resorting to the gimmicks that the Democrats have used, that Nancy Pelosi has used for many years now, which is a continuing resolution, which typically leads to an omnibus, which, again, is out of control spending, fork laden earmarks and the uh, inability for Congress to really implement good policies. And Congressman, you're not among those who seem even worried about the government shutdown, right? I mean, to you, it's not as big a deal as some people make it, it seems. I think because the media tries to make it a very, very big thing. But in reality, we're talking about a slowdown. We're talking about a deferment. Only about 15 percent of the government ceases okay and slows down and and even that 15 percent gets made whole uh soon thereafter as soon as the government starts back up again but but most folks dave you and i both know aren't going to be impacted by this but i will tell you what they will be impacted by better policies they will be impacted by less spending in the next say 11 days what happens are we going to have a shutdown do you think once we get to october That's going to be completely reliant upon the decisions that Speaker McCarthy makes over the next couple of days and whether he directs the House of Representatives to go ahead and conclude their work on the appropriation bills so that we can fund government responsibly and transparently and then send those those documents over to the uh, United States Senate. Congressman Matt Rosendale, Republican from Montana, we thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on today, Dave. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. This is Kevin Sorbo with your Fox News commentary coming up. This year, President Biden's Department of Education proposed two new rules relating to transgender youth in schools. Change Title IX to, one, expand the definition of discrimination to include discrimination against transgender youth, and two, not allow a blanket ban on transgender athletes competing in school sports. Last month, President Biden was asked about the increase in laws limiting gender transition health care and other rules relating to transgender youth in Republican-led states. It's It's an appeal to fear, and it's appeal that is totally, thoroughly unjustified and ugly. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin insists this is about parents' rights. He said some of the school districts rejecting his administration's new policies on transgender youth have to fall in line. The Attorney General's opinion was very clear that our policies are completely consistent with federal policies. So they don't have a choice. California's Attorney General Rob Bonta sued a school district over a policy that required parental notification if a student said he or she was trans at school. Bonta said trans students already have more mental health issues and are at greater risk of suicide. And when a school is not supportive and not affirming, when it doesn't create a positive, welcoming environment, it is even Worse. But it may be the rules impacting transgender athletes that sparked the biggest fight, as some women and girls insist allowing transgender athletes to compete against them isn't fair. It's hard for me to understand the problem. In my experience, 
this is something that affected women in a harmful way, not just because of the unfair competition, but sharing a locker room with a male is traumatizing. That was Riley Gaines on this podcast earlier this year. She tied for fifth place in the 200-meter NCAA championship race last year against transgender athlete Leah Thomas. A few weeks ago, Fox Business correspondent Hillary Vaughn asked White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre if the president has an opinion about this, as he has granddaughters. I just answered the question. It is a complicated issue. It is truly a complicated issue with a wide range of views, a wide range of views. The Department of Education guidance was supposed to come out next month, but it may be delayed. They're hunting this to the Department of Education. When I tried to ask the press secretary about this issue, she kind of said, we don't want to get ahead of what the Department of Education is working through. Fox Business correspondent Hillary Vaughn is focusing on transgender athletes in schools during FBN's week-long series on education. They do have that proposed rule that says you can't have a total ban on trans athletes, but there are exceptions for fairness and safety at some of the more elite levels, high school and college, where you could make the case that having a biological male compete in a female sport is unfair, it is unsafe. Of course, that opens up the individual schools to liability, to lawsuits from potentially transgender athletes that may be prevented from competing in the sport that aligns with their gender identity. You can expect pushback from that. But it's interesting that the president himself, he has not come out strongly on this issue either way. It's something that progressives in his party think is a very simple answer that transgender athletes should be able to compete in the sport that aligns with their gender identity. But the White House telling me that they think this is complicated. There is no yes or no when you pose the question, should biological males be allowed to compete in female women's sports? So they're not really taking a side on this just yet. And I think because it is politically complicated for them. And I was reading the the rules, these proposed Title IX rule changes were supposed to be settled by October and after they'd already been pushed out. And now it sounds like they might get pushed out again. I guess the Department of Education got hundreds of thousands of comments on this issue on how Title IX was going to be applied to transgender students. It, It sounds like we could be waiting even longer. Yes. And I think the Biden administration is in a tricky spot because They want to make sure that they are supporting and standing up for girls in sports. But at the same time, they want to make sure that transgender athletes are not being discriminated against. But when you look at poll after poll that has surveyed Americans in this country and asked them the question, do you think that biological males should be allowed to compete in women's sports or should they have to compete in whatever sports team corresponds with the sex they were assigned at birth. And one Gallup poll from June, 70% of people in that poll said they think that transgender athletes should only be allowed to compete in the sport that aligns with their sex they were assigned at birth. So for the American people's perspective, this is not a very complicated issue. So as you mentioned, a lot of people chiming in on the Department of Education's proposed rule. There's a lot of people that feel very strongly about this. And the majority of people feel strongly that boys and girls, biological girls, biological boys should be competing separately from each other. 
There have been lawsuits, as you know, in the, in the vacuum here without federal guidelines. You know, trans student athletes sued in Arizona against a transgender athlete ban. There were four female track athletes. They tried to sue in Connecticut, saying they shouldn't have to compete against trans athletes. Their case was rejected, and they're fighting to even have it heard. I wonder, as we wait for federal, I guess, rules, let's say we have federal rules does a case have to kind of get to the Supreme Court level for all this to get sorted out? Yeah, I would not be surprised if you saw this work its way up through the court system and ultimately end up at the Supreme Court, because ultimately this is a Title IX issue. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about changing a law on the books, that is something, a challenge to that could rise to the level of the Supreme Court chiming in on this. But you mentioned the lack of action in Washington. It has been really interesting. Republicans control the House. They've passed bills that ban transgender athletes from competing in sports on teams that align with their gender identity. The Senate, controlled by Democrats, is not taking up those bills. So they never Mm. will make it to the president's desk. And he certainly would not sign that. But I think the fact that this is something that is not only dominating the oxygen here on Capitol Hill, it's something that is on parents' minds, and it is something that is also dominating the campaign trail as we head into 2024. The former governor, Nikki Haley, has said point blank that biological boys should be competing with biological boys. Biological girls should be competing with biological girls. She's been very outspoken on that, very critical of the Biden administration for not being able to say that. On Capitol Hill, we heard from the college swimmer Riley Gaines how uncomfortable she felt changing in a locker room with a biological male. I think that that's the other part of this that resonates with a parent of a girl mom and a girl dad who wants to play in sports, where do we draw the line? Is it enough to let biological males compete against females in sports? What does that mean off the field? Where do we draw the line? And it's interesting because I did have a chance to try to talk to the president of the largest public school teachers union, Randy Weingarten, on Capitol Hill last week. And I asked her, what does she say to parents who don't feel like their daughters are safe if they are going to be subjected to changing in a locker room with biological males. And she really punted and said, we want every child to feel safe. I followed up and asked her, does that mean letting biological boys change in girl locker rooms? And she just walked away. And so this is becoming a politically toxic issue. And Democrats are going to have to figure out where they are willing to draw the line. What boundaries and safeguards do we put in place to make sure everyone is protected? Well, and then I, on the flip side of that, you know, we, we think of girl moms and girl dads. There are also, and there are far fewer of them, the parents of transgender kids. And I'm sure they have all the feels, too, over this, right? Like, how can my kid participate? And how can, you know, even the Supreme Court weighed in and said a 12-year-old middle school track athlete could participate in sports in West Virginia. They essentially sidestepped and I guess upheld the appellate court ruling, a lower court ruling. They didn't really weigh in on the merits. But it sounds like what you're saying is that's what the Democratic Party is grappling with is Mm -hmm. the sensitivities here to both sides. Even if there are more parents of girls, there are 
I guess, still those parents of transgender athletes and transgender students who want, you know, want the same thing. Absolutely. And it's tricky because it's not even really a numbers issue because minority rights have to be protected. And so, of course, the parents of transgender athletes don't want their children to be alienated from sports. There has to be a third option. And so it'll be interesting to see if Democrats can come together, if Republicans can come together and figure out a solution that protects everybody. But if we have a situation where children do not feel safe, children feel alienated, Republicans and Democrats need to make sure ultimately that all of those concerns are addressed. But I don't think we're really getting consensus on this issue. You don't hear workable solutions from Democrats. They're not really on the same page. They are outspoken in support of transgender rights. But what that looks like in practice and how they balance that with women's rights, the safety of girls competing in sports, where they draw the line and what their solution looks like is we haven't really seen that. And you heard that from the White House as well. They're letting the Department of Education kind of navigate this issue trickily. But even the Department of Education has not really done anything yet. They have proposals, right. they have ideas, but nothing really is being done at this point. And I wonder, Hillary, finally, if it will just end up being the agencies themselves, right? Like World Athletics, World Aquatics, International Cycling Union, they all have their own rules saying you can't compete at the elite women's level if, if you didn't transition before puberty. And there are all kinds of different rules depending on the sport, right? And the burden, the responsibility falls on the different sports agencies, the different management agencies of those sports. And they're basically making judgment calls based on testosterone levels. And when did you transition? It sounds like this is being left to individual sports. I think that's right. And then, of course, the need for government action or government standard is that that shields these private entities from liability and from having to make the tricky calls and the decisions themselves, they can point to guidance from the federal right. government on what they should do. So until you see that, a lot of schools, a lot of sports are really open and subject to lawsuits from both sides. And that's going to be something that is a burden on them. And I think ultimately could make people afraid to really do anything or come up with any solution because they're just not entirely sure what the right step forward is. And that's where there is a role for the government, for Congress to act, maybe the Supreme Court to weigh in, but certainly the president to guide his agencies to really come up with a solution that protects everybody in this situation. Well, each day this week, Fox Business takes a deep look at education in America. This will culminate with a live audience town hall on Thursday, September 21st in the 1 p.m. hour. Hillary Vaughn, Fox Business correspondent, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And in other news. I'm Gianna Gelosi. 
It's nacho everyday stunt. The Doritos Corporation took TikTok's viral cheese pulling trend to new heights, lifting a giant nacho 50 feet into the air, setting a new world record. If you've never heard of a cheese pull, it's that stretchy chain of melted cheese when you pull apart something like a mozzarella stick or grilled cheese without snapping it. The stunt by Doritos was ironically executed for National Guacamole Day at the Cheddar Gorge in Somerset, United Kingdom. It required more than a month of planning from cheese scientists, food experts, and a social media star. The coalition cooked up a 265-pound blend of cheddar and mozzarella, poured it into a pot nestled into a 16-foot replica mound of nacho chips. Then a helicopter flew in and lowered a giant four-foot-wide nacho into the cheese, airlifting that cheese pole 49 feet in the air. With their giant dip, the team shattered the record for the highest cheese pole, as determined by the World Talent Organization. The whole thing was recorded, and it's going viral online with more than 1.5 billion views to date. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Kevin Sorbo. What's on your mind? Leave the saving of the world to the men? I don't think so quipped Elastigirl in Pixar's The Incredibles. That was 2004. Since then, Helen Parr's popular feminist maxim has come to define Hollywood's endemic anti-man ethos. Her words seem to underlie every major entry for cinema's largest metonym, from recent girl boss movies to more male-oriented films, all of which include an obligatory nod to the superior strength, intelligence, and independence of womankind. Everywhere we look, bold, confident, self-assured females upstage passive men who recede quietly into the background, into the basement, into the past. Fathers, in particular, have become the butt of every woke Hollywood jab, the bumbling, useless idiots who contribute nothing to their families or communities but sacrifice themselves as objects of ridicule. Does Hollywood fear good men? Not necessarily big, bulky men with daunting physiques. Those aren't in too short supply in today's big screen. But good men, admirable men, men we'd want our sons to emulate and daughters to date. Society today seriously misunderstands masculinity. On the one hand, we love to normalize androgynous, Billy Porter-type men. On the other hand, our favorite movies are heavily populated with brawny, macho men. I should know, I made a name for myself in the industry playing a Greek half-god. But is that really all that it takes to be a good man? No, in fact, you can work out and dress like a man's man and still fall prey to the masculinity crisis. How? In order to go out and conquer the world, men must first conquer themselves. Sadly, men today have often instead been conquered. We've been subdued by alcohol, drugs, video games, porn, and other entertainment. The character of the useless man in his parents' basement increasingly depicts real life. It doesn't really matter what end of the masculinity spectrum you fall on. If you're a victim to your own base desires, the feminist culture has won. In reality, America today needs warriors, protectors, responsible and committed fathers. We need men who will raise their kids, defend their homes, provide for their families, and serve self-sacrificially, all of which is impossible if they are dissipated and addicted to pleasure. The call of duty to today's man is to rise above what society and the media says he is doomed to be 
becoming instead the servant leader his family and community so desperately require. Boys especially need heroes. It's part of why storytelling has been an essential part of culture throughout history, particularly through the medium of filmmaking in this generation. Since it is so likely that they will meet cruel enemies, let them at least have heard of brave knights and heroic courage, wrote C.S. Lewis. Otherwise, you are making their destiny not brighter, but darker. Enough with the impotent sitcom father figure. Enough with the brutish he-man who only abuses his strength and makes a mockery of masculinity. Let's make Hollywood manly again. It's time for the world's entertainment capital to reintroduce good men. Men who love their wives and children, protect them, fight for what's right, and speak up for the powerless. Men who, above all, have overcome their own selfish desires and are free to put others first. After all, that's the most masculine thing any man can do. This is Kevin Sorbo, actor and author of the book, The Test of Linehood, from BraveBooks.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, it's Will Kane, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend. Join me as I share my thoughts on a wide range of topics, from sports and pop culture to politics and business. The Will Kane Podcast. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.